Hey, sports fans. I just wanted to drop in for a second to tell you that this podcast is really getting popular and it would help me immensely if you went to iTunes and gave us a review. And don't miss today's video, episode 3 of This Week in NBA Twitter. It's a quick romp through the funniest tweets of the week by your favorite NBA players. It will definitely light up your day. So what are you waiting for? I'm in. Is this year's Warriors team more dominant than last year's? What has Curry done to regain his MVP form? And how has Kevin Durant adjusted to a different role? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on the show Anthony Slater, who is the beat writer for the Warriors for the Mercury News and Bay Area News Group. So, Anthony, good morning. It's great to talk to you today. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. I, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is the second time on. Last time I was on, I was talking about this stagnant Thunder team that I used to cover. <laughs> now I'm talking about not necessarily as stagnant in offense, right? Right. Although, you know, if you look at the lineups, uh, I was before we came out, I was talking to you, I'm looking at the historical sort of five-man lineups and how good they can be over the course of a year. And last year, the top two five-man lineups were OKC in net rating. Um, and that was sort of surprising to me. I guess that doesn't surprise you, though, right? Not really. I mean, their starting lineup was dominant. They had their two, you know, people want to kill the isolation ball at times, but especially in a regular season setting, um, it worked. It works against so many of the the poor teams in the league because of how good those two were at isolation. And then they had a really good defensive lineup around them with Robertson and Adams. And um, by the end of the year, it, it started to click. And you saw it in the playoffs. I mean, they were a couple bad possessions, a couple non Clay Thompson threes from being in the finals. Absolutely. I mean, and that was just as crazy as crazy it can be. And by the way, the Warriors got the same treatment right back to them because they were, you know, a three or a turnover away from winning their second in the road, too. Um, now, the thing that's interesting is last year they, they went, they won 73 games and were crazy dominant and, you know, just about won the championship. Well, what seems a little bit low key to me is that this year they're having arguably a better season. Is, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, their net ratings. Uh outrageous right now i think it's 12.7 um i think what the you know it's they've had an interesting season where they haven't lost two in a row um but they also haven't had these major winning streaks i mean what galvanized everyone to that team last year was the 24 game win streak to start the season obviously Mm -hmm. well this year they lose in the opener to san antonio which feels so long ago at this point (laughs) and then four in a row a loss in la and then 12 in a row, a loss, seven in a row, a loss, four in a row, a loss. So they haven't had these extended streaks that kind of gets, you know, ESPN and everyone talking about, you know, look what the Warriors are doing. But then you look and they're 41, 42 and seven now, and they just they blow so many teams out. Um, you know, you, you saw the 46 point win they had on the Clippers the other night. That is the dominance has been probably, like you said, even more than last season. It's just the record isn't sitting there at 44 and four. It's just 42 and seven. Oh, no. Oh, I, I know. And just to give you an idea, as I called up their line, the five-man lineups and the net ratings, we have nine of their top 14 in terms of minutes played are all plus 20 or higher. And that is, it's unheard of, you know, and, and especially because 
you know, the idea was that Steve Kerr was struggling with the bench, and they had all these new guys, and they had, and then plus they had Kevin Durant to you know get integrated in the offense uh, or on the on the, the both sides on the starting lineup. So. This is weird because I would have expected, I think, you know, some of the drop-off in those deeper lineups with other players, and yet here we are. Uh, it's it's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think two things here. Number one, I mean, you've, we're talking about unheard of numbers, but we're also talking about unheard of talent on a team, really. I mean, mm-hmm. four all-stars in their primes. They're all between 26 and 28. Two, you know, obvious first ballot Hall of Famer types, top 20 potential players ever. Uh, and the way Kerr has mixed them in with the other guys has been good. And, look, they've gotten better minutes from those rotations. I think if you go down the list right now, look, Ian Clark's having a better season than many people thought he would. Zaza Pachulia, especially in the last month, has been better than a lot of people expected. JaVale McGee, for all his flaws, has actually been a useful weapon for them in his one you know skill, which is the lob game. He's so open on this team because of the spacing, and they're all such good passers that can throw the lobs that he's actually become like a net positive. With him, you know, he's starting right now because Pachulia's out. He's played 72 minutes this season with the other four, you know, all stars around him. And in those 70 or 79 minutes, and in those 79 minutes, they're plus 72. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, so, I mean, that's one of the lineups I'm sure you're talking about. So, just it, all these role players have played well. And then when you surround them, the reason why they play well in a lot of reasons because they're surrounded by these all stars. So, everyone's kind of lifted up. And that's why you just see all these lineups, which is mega net. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's mega. I, I'm looking at it now, and it's 74 minutes with Curry, Durant, Draymond, Clay, and JaVale, uh, plus 38.7. So it, net, net rating, right? Net rating, yeah, which is, you know, so every 100 possessions, they're going to outscore you by almost, you know, close to 40 points. Uh, it, you know, and that's, that's not even a small sample size. 74 minutes at this point in the season is, you know, it, it is significant. It's worth looking at at the very least. Some of the ones that are 27 or 28, whatever, I could see saying, oh, that was probably against, you know, you know uh, Orlando or whatever. But um, some of these are some major minutes. And obviously their starters are, you know, plus in 508 minutes together, plus 23. Uh, just really quickly, give us an update about Zaza and why he's out and what is, when he's going to come back. Uh, so the other night in Portland, he uh, he had a steal late in the game. He kind of poked it away, and you know Zaza. He's just kind of wild. Um, he he <laughs> chases down the ball. He dives, and he kind of dives on the ball, and it torques his shoulder in a weird way. Uh, they called it a right rotator cuff strain. He's out at least a week. I'd guess it might linger longer. If the shoulder's still sore, I wouldn't be surprised if that takes him through the all-star break, which is you know a lot closer. It's crazy how close the all-star break is, but – um, and they're fine without him. You know, the the weird thing about this roster is they have all they got all their great wings and guards that they were sitting there with that center spot, and they just decided to get seven center options. So right now, uh, Zaza's out, and David West is out with a with a thumb fracture. But they got five other guys that can at least fill in minutes. Javale McGee starting now, Kavon Looney, James Michael McAdoo's actually giving them decent minutes. They got a rookie waiting in the wings, Damian Jones. So they have guys that can fill those minutes. Plus, guess what? The best center on the roster isn't even a center. It's Draymond Green. So, um, you know, they're fine. So I just kind of expect Zaza to miss um, two weeks, probably something like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a really fascinating thing to have. I, I was going to ask you, like, 
perhaps Steve Kerr was secretly happy about maybe Zaza getting injured because it forces him to finally give JaVale those minutes. I think, I think it's safe to say the fans have been clamoring for more JaVale, uh, just like we wanted more Cowbell with, um, you know, on Saturday Night Live. So the question here is, 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 is Kerr, is, is that what's happening here? Is it almost like when David Lee went out and Draymond got that, that, that opportunity? Or, um, or is Zaza simply going to come back? He's going to get a spot no matter what. He, you mentioned it. I mean, I think the fans were really on that bandwagon early in the season because Zaza was not playing well maybe the first month and a half. Right. Javel was this this toy that was out there, and every time he was out there, it was just lobs, lobs, lobs. And you know, especially Warriors fans, they love the highlight plays where Zaza's hard screens that set up a Curry jumper isn't exactly loved as much. <laughs> but the you know, if you look at Zaza's numbers in January, I mean, he was he got a lot better. He's had maybe six double digit games. He's averaged about nine and six. His minutes went up. And he's done a few things to kind of uh, earn himself trust within the fan base. First of all, he's just finishing better. And then number two, like, he's just doing more enforcer-type things. I mean, they love the Westbrook hard foul as much as, you know, that it was a flagrant. It was not necessarily, like, the right play within the basketball realm. The Warriors fans loved it. So they've actually kind of come to to Zaza's side. But right as they were doing that, he goes out. So, um, And then the other thing is, Look, you know it just as good as anyone. I mean, JaVale McGee, is he a legitimate playoff option when you're playing the Spurs and they're just going to pick and roll him to death? Um, I think they trust Zaza more in those settings, so that's why I would expect him to slide right back into that starting role when he's healthy. So, you know, what are the what, what are the big fears with JaVale? I mean, what I've seen sometimes, it's not even on, on defense. To me, it's like offensively, he'll just do some really dumb things. He'll just try and, like, catch it before he's – or try and score the ball before he actually catches it and the ball hits off his hands. So what's the trust issue going on there that, like, they just can't seem to get over the hump and give him, you know, more of those minutes? Well, a couple things. Offensively, I, I think it's uh, – you know, he's not, like, a good passer. I think he probably has, like, eight assists all season. We're like, Zaza is actually an underrated passer. David West, when he gets back, like, his average from three assists per game in, like, limited minutes – and their offense is so predicated a lot of times on just every everyone who touches it needs to be able to kind of swing it, pass it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just maybe his one issue offensively. And then defensively, I think a great example was the Cleveland game. Um, right when JaVale McGee went to the scorer's table, Tyron Lue said, hey, Channing Fry, go. And they just – other teams, smart teams, put, sh- put shooting bigs in the game. And if you spread him and get him confused, I mean, he, like Channing Fry got two immediate wide-open threes just because – you know, he kind of gets lost in that setting. He's good if he's just kind of protecting the rim and guarding an Andre Drummond type. I remember he had like 14-point good night against the Pistons. But uh, if you get shooters spread, Steve Kerr kind of gets scared of that matchup and just pulls him and goes to one of the other centers. You know, that's a great point. And to me, it's like JaVale is tantalizing and he shows you those moments where he, like, why would you ever take him out? Because he's just dominating. But... To me, he's always been that guy where you got to be able to figure out that exact possession to take him out before it becomes a problem. Like, he'll make a couple mistakes, the team goes on a run, then you're screwed. And so it's always a balancing act, it looks like, with him. But um, it's certainly no less fun when he's out there. Um, yeah. You know, now let me ask you this because I've watched, I've watched a lot of Warriors, I feel like, um, this year. And the one guy that's kind of driving me a little bit nuts is, um, is Iggy. Iguodala, to me, there's something, like, uh, offensively or something, I'm not exactly sure what's happening, but, like, there just seems to be a little bit more, like, looseness with the ball, which has always sort of been an issue, and it just, you know, obviously we're not seeing it in the numbers because every lineup he's in is really good, but do you see what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, his assist-to-turnover ratio is still pretty good, but he has these games where it just looks like he's sitting there like, you know, a lot of us are at times. Like, when is the playoffs getting here? And okay. I mean, I think the Christmas loss in Cleveland was, you know, everyone wants to talk about Curry's bad night that has actually really turned around Steph Curry's season. But Iguodala had three turnovers in that game that were three of the crucial worst turnovers I've seen. He had a chance to... Um, just all he needed to do was a hit-ahead pass to Kevin Durant with 37 seconds left just for an easy dunk, and they win that Christmas game. But instead he passed it right to Kyrie Irving, who gets a layup, and you know that changes the game. He just You mentioned maybe some looseness at times. He's been afraid to shoot the three, it seems, at times, although he hit three in Portland the other night without Curry that was big. Um, and the fast break, you know, bugaboo he has that dates back – People say it dates back beyond the LeBron block last year, but ever since the LeBron block, that's you almost think he's hearing footsteps even when he, they're not playing the Cavs because um, really? he's, he's had real issues finishing around the rim, especially on the fast break. Um, sometimes you, you'll even see him, if like there's a defender near, he'll almost use it as an excuse to like dribble it back out and pass it when it's like, man, you just kind of got to take that layup. Um, but, you know, some of it is I think he's just – easing his legs into the season and some of it's look it's year 13 for him you know he's got a lot of tread on the tires so uh everyone kind of declines at their own pace i'm not gonna i i still think he's a useful player you mentioned the plus minus he's a great passer smart passer when he is locked in especially when they have one or two days rest like that Cavs game the second one back at home he was really good in that game and they were coming off three days rest uh, and in the playoffs, you get more rest. So I still expect him to be impactful. But I don't, look, he's, I don't think he'll ever be the Andre Iguodala, you know, finals MVP from a few years ago. Yeah, fair enough. And you're right. I mean, you know, uh, wear and tear certainly is a thing. Um, and I'm looking at his, his transition synergy numbers right now. And they are at 31st percentile, which is not good. Um, and, you know, he's not even getting that many opportunities there either, which probably indicates to me that he is – you know, getting rid of the ball or not being as yeah. aggressive as you can. But that's kind of a fascinating thing, though, that the notion of him sort of hearing the footsteps. Uh, I mean, you know, so that really feels like a thing to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's had some, you know, people call him Dre-ups. I, I know I keep, every time he kind of misses one of those, you'll see somebody tweet out something like Dre-ups. Um, and it's... I don't want to sit here and say he's really – they're playing the Hornets and he's driving down and he's, like, thinking about LeBron on a fast break. But it just does seem like he's hesitant to – because he feels like a shot might get blocked or he's going to miss the layup. He's had some bad, like, ugly misses on fast breaks where, he, you know, he does, like, a weird-looking reverse and, like, doesn't even hit the rim. Um, and like I mentioned, just when you see a guy just kind of dribble it under the – you know what I mean? He, he has a chance to get a layup and kind of just dribbles it in and, and kicks it back out to, like, Curry – um, that's when you sense like it almost just looks like he doesn't want to make a layup attempt there. Okay. Well, what do you think is uh, what are the issues? Are there issues with them? You know, we're talking a lot about you know what works for them pretty well, but uh, what are you seeing out there that probably scares them the most as far as what they what they're going to struggle with? Uh, I mean, look, their two biggest issues are turnovers when they get lazy, when they get unfocused, um, all their losses. I mean, if you look at their splits, losses to wins, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but it's something like you know, 18-19-ish turnovers and losses where it's down in the 14-something range in wins, or that's what it was a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and then the offensive rebounds uh, for, other, for opponents, so their defensive rebounding. Uh, in their losses, you know, I remember the opener. The Spurs had twenty something 
offensive rebounds when they blew them out. Cleveland had 19, I think, on Christmas. So when they just don't box out, and that's another JaVale issue with Zaza is actually a very good defensive rebounder where JaVale's not. Um, when they can just limit teams to 10, 11 offensive rebounds and they just don't turn it over you know, in the 18, 19, 20 range, that, that means they're getting the, around the same amount of shots as the other team. And when they go possession for possession with another team, I mean, look, look at their net rating. I mean, they're, they're they're so good because of how offensively dominant they are, and they're a good defensive team in the half court. So if they just don't let the other team get get moving, get in easy hoops, then they're just so hard to beat. Well, we talk about this on the show a lot about how you know you can actually mitigate turnover problems and the other team's offensive rebounds by three point shooting. And I need to do. I'm going to dig it up. I, I and we'd love to do a video on this where we show what that number is, like how many threes. Do you have to outscore the opponent by, you know, c- compared to like if you got out rebounded and out turnovered by this, right? There's got to be a happy medium there, and they probably they, they generally outscore their opponents by five or six threes a game, easy. And you're talking that's 18 extra points they're getting. And so when I'm looking at the wins and losses, the first thing I looked at was what are they shooting from three in their losses? And obviously, boom, it's a big red 25.7 percent compared yeah. to the 41 when they win. So I think those are all combined. They all, they all mix together, right? And so some of those losses could probably have been avoided if they shot even a little bit better. Certainly they had some really close ones if you look at their losses, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they had the double OT loss to, to Houston where I don't think they shot that well from three. Cleve, in Christmas, on Christmas, they didn't shoot that well. Uh, great example is not even a close loss, but remember when they got blown out by the Lakers in like the sixth game of the season in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Curry goes, oh, a 10 that night. That broke some crazy streak of like 172 straight games with a three. Thompson, I think, went two of 10. So they went a combined two of 20 right there. It, you And I mean, look, you almost need anomaly nights from this team. You need these crazy bad shooting nights from guys that don't that rarely have bad shooting nights to stick with this team um and that's a great number right there i hadn't even seen the 25 percent from three in losses that just shows you how bad you almost need them to play slash shoot uh to have a chance yeah and I, so that's the question is because we're always looking at this not in terms of regular season like and like you said you know the thunder last year you can beat up on half of the games you're playing are against bottom half defenses and then a quarter of the games you're playing are against really bad defense. And so all those guys are going to feast, and you're going to have amazing stats. And so the crucible we need to look under this is, is the playoffs and how are they going to do against the top four defenses in the league when they're prepared for you for, with a day, at least a day, maybe two days to prepare. So I have to imagine, without even looking at it right now, that they still stack up pretty well against those top teams compared to like a Toronto Raptors. I don't know if you've seen that, but I'm not even sure they've beaten – a top team yet in the in the yeah. season, but um, you, you don't do you see? It doesn't look like they're going to suffer from that issue of like oh they're just feasting on these bad teams. No, because they basically feast on everyone. I mean, San Antonio's <laughs> the the only team that look. San Antonio killed them in the opener, but I don't take much from that. That was literally Kevin Durant's first game yeah. with this team. It's the season opener, but they haven't played them since, so they're going to get them twice. Uh, later in the season that will be an interesting game to watch because look that's the closest team record wise right now to the Warriors the Cavaliers I mean we don't get a need to get too deep into that matchup I mean that's what everyone's expected finals is and everyone remembers the Christmas game where look the Warriors really should have won that game they're up 14 in the fourth quarter they kind of melt down turnover wise and, and what we were mentioning and then in the rematch they just blast them by 30 plus 
Rockets. They they had this they had this three they they had beaten the Celtics in Boston and Toronto early in the season. Toronto at home, but they had um, a, a week recently where they were coming up facing the Cavaliers on Monday, Thunder on Wednesday, Rockets in Houston on Friday, and it was like okay, let let's kind of. They have a good record, but let's see them string together these trio of games against good teams. And they just went 35-point win, 20-point win, 17-point win in Houston. And it and just, I mean, neither of the, none of the three games were even close. And that, to me, was the first time I was like, you know, they're, they're just on another plane from the rest of the NBA right now. When you watch the two games of the Cavaliers games in, in as a whole, as eight quarters, um, the thing that I take away from that is that the, the Cavaliers have no answer for Kevin Durant. And, of course, if Kevin Durant just would have given <laughs> Steph Curry the ball in that last possession, maybe it would have been two wins instead. But certainly, it just doesn't look like – it looks like they, Kevin Durant can guard Kevin Love and they'll try and go down low. And, and actually, KD was, was handling it down there. And uh, I'm not even sure LeBron wants any part of that anymore. And I feel like, you know, in the finals way back in the day, that was a great matchup for, for LeBron. But – it just doesn't seem that way. Have you seen – can you, like, argue with me on that point? Well, look, LeBron doesn't want it for 48 minutes. You know, LeBron is still a solid defender in a key moment. But, you know, you remember they had Richard Jefferson on Durant in that Christmas day. But um, right. the thing the, – the difference to me is the load that the that one or the other carries. Where we're talking about LeBron doesn't want to guard Durant for that long is because – I mean, think about all he has to do. He's leading the NBA in minutes per game right now. He's their playmaker at times. He's the Cavs' power forward. He's just shoulders so much of a load for that team and everything, rebounding, assists. Whereas on the Warriors, look, Kevin Durant has this, like, ease burden. Yes, he's become this incredible shot blocker, but he's got Draymond Green as the defensive anchor. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson can all go off for 35 at all times. I mean, they're so deep. They're so loaded that in that matchup, Kevin Durant can solely focus on just – you know, picking his spots, getting his moment, uh, you know, his moments, finding, uh, you know, mismatches at times, attacking LeBron, but also not just spending so much other energy that LeBron has to spend that it's just kind of lopsided in that sense that, you know, they they have to put Richard Jefferson on him at times and he'll end up burning Richard Jefferson. And if it's got to be Kevin Love when they go small, I mean, that's its own issues. And look, when, when Blake Griffin, they were playing the Clippers the other day, and this is a good example with Kevin Love, they they had to put Blake Griffin on Durant. And instead of just having Durant attack him one-on-one, they just had Durant run, or, run through a few screens, and Griffin got lost. And it's just it created easy dunk after layup. And um, it's just this team can create so many mismatches. I, I it's, it really is uh, impressive how well Kevin Durant has you know integrated into the team and, and, and really embraced that. I thought you could tell us a little bit about, you know, comparing what it's like to cover the Thunder versus the Warriors. Uh, even just, you know, maybe a glimpse behind the curtain as far as, you know, the, the culture and the, you know, just are you walking on eggshells or what that kind of thing is around, your, around each team. What's, what's a, the biggest difference, you think, between covering both those guys? Uh, there's, it's, it's more loose around Golden State where, look, the Thunder's culture with – they got – you know, they obviously moved the franchise to Oklahoma City and they got Durant and Westbrook in there. And those two at a young age were like very serious basketball guys that wanted to get their work in. And they were in this city that was perfect for it because, you know, no nightlife. I mean, they were just kind of there 
to clock in, clock out. And, and you know, Sam Presti made sure to keep this, like, pristine practice facility where it looks like they vacuum, like, eight times a day. All the, you know, they have these racks of basketballs and, like, the Spalding uh, logo is out on every one. And they make sure, you know what I mean? Like, everything is just, if you take a Gatorade, somebody's rushing over to put a Gatorade right back in. So, like, it's fully stocked. It's that type of setting, which I thought was fantastic for a young team because it just it, it, it made their work setting so professional. And, it look, think about what it produced. Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Abaka, Reggie Jackson, you know, all the Steven Adams, all these great young players. But now Durant is at a point where, look, he, he doesn't need that setting to get his work in. So now he's on this Warriors team that's filled with veterans that are loose, casual. Uh, you got Steve Kerr running the show. Bob Myers kind of like a surfer-type guys with laid-back mentalities. And, you know, there's music playing at um, practice. And there's people running around. There's visitors. The Blue Angels are there. You know, Make-A-Wish people might be visiting. And there's just way more people around. And, like, Kevin Durant's still over in the corner getting his work in when he wants to. But it's just um, it's just a more casual you know, player-friendly environment in the sense of I, I just think who they have on the team. There's such a good uh, balance of power within the organization. Everyone's kind of settled. Like Draymond has his niche, and Durant and Curry have their brands, and Kerr's so settled in his role, and Bob Myers. And, you know, that creates it. And then you know, I'm, good examples like in post game, they'll just uh, some guys will be drinking a beer in the post game locker room. It's like I never would have seen that in Oklahoma City. They wouldn't have done that, but in Golden State, like it's fine um, to you know after a game to have a beer. And I, I that just might might be an example of it, but that's maybe just the two differences. And I I really do understand both franchises' mentalities and especially where they were with a young team building up in Oklahoma City, and now it's just a veteran loose team in Golden State. But uh, it seems to mesh more with Durant, the twenty eight year old, where the other one maybe mesh with Durant, the twenty two year old. Oh, okay, interesting. Well, you mentioned Kerr and uh, and his post game uh, press conferences, and so I'm kind of curious. You know, he is one of the few guys that has spoken out uh, about what's going on in the world today, and he's done that multiple times. And um, I mean, I, I, is that you asking those questions? Who's who's the guys asking them, giving him the, the platform? It, it's all. It's a variety. You know, it's uh, you know early on. It, he kind of, uh, you know, I remember the day of the presidency, I think he might have just come out and said, you know, open his press conference. Like, he does that a lot. It'll be MLK Day. I'll come out before we get started. You know, I want to talk about Martin Luther King. But he's gotten it to a point that uh, people know he's willing to speak out about it. So, you know, different reporters, depending on the day, may ask him about it. And, you know, he... He has such a unique perspective because he's not just some random coach or random, you know, grew up and just played basketball in L.A., then went to college, then played in the NBA. No, like he was born in Lebanon. Obviously, people know the story of his dad getting assassinated. His dad was a professor in, uh, you know, Beirut, and he, he was like a Middle East expert. So Steve Kerr is like super knowledgeable on the world, and um, he watches, you know, political-type shows every day, reads a ton of that stuff. So he, he doesn't just – whether you agree with his opinion, political opinions or not, he doesn't just spew them out of like what he just happens to be thinking that day. Like he really researches and has these deep rooted opinions and thinks about them. So, you know, he's kind of, and he's from the Popovich school, Popovich, the other guy that does it. And, you know, he talks about going into great Popovich's office and seeing him watch CNN and stuff like that. So that's where it comes from. 
Uh, the fake news site, <laughs> CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been really refreshing, and uh, and I, I, I applaud it. The funny thing is, is the people that tend to argue that guys like in that position shouldn't speak out uh, in that are usually the ones who just simply disagree with what Kerr is saying. And if he had been saying the opposite, then they're like, oh, it's awesome that he's talking out and he's expressing his opinion. Um, you know, I, you know, it is interesting, and I feel like um, – I don't know. Like, what, what's your take on that? Have you written about that at all, or have you gotten into that? Uh, um, I'm I'm actually working on something bigger now about that. I mean, obviously, I've reported what he said because I've, I mean, the coach I cover saying some of the stuff he has. I mean, even think about he's talking about marijuana use. I mean, that was that came out of nowhere. Um, Wait, what did he say about that? Uh, he he was basically just talking about how he thinks it should be uh, a lot more accepted than painkillers. You know, people that pop pills and he talked about when because remember i mean he had the back issues that uh forced him to miss uh half the season last year and coming off that back surgery and all that pain he was trying different uh, things to you know try to alleviate the pain and he he admitted you know i tried marijuana a few times which it was just kind of that became the headline hey nba coach says he smoked weed but he i mean it was a deeper <laughs> conversation about uh why painkillers are so much worse for your body than than medical marijuana he was kind of trying to bring that out and you know he really started for you know how the news cycle works these days but he really started a conversation for about four or five days it's died at this point because there's a ton of other stuff out there in the news but um just his willingness to do that i think it's all been interesting sure well let's get back to the court for a minute because you know i'm kind of upset that i had that the numbers on steph uh pick and roll uh, really declining, uh, like three days before it got reported wildly, uh, widely, and then he commented on it, and then everyone started writing it down in articles, and I, I was going to have that scoop, but um, clearly <laughs> we've seen that that's a shift. And Do we think that that was from Steph speaking out to the media, that all of a sudden he's getting a lot more pick and rolls, and now he's getting the hoop a lot more? Um, well, I mean, I'm sure he said it behind the scenes too, but from what we have to gather... I think that was like his real push because look, he's Steph Curry. This isn't a, this isn't a boy who cried wolf type thing where he's complaining and then you know after every loss or this or that. I mean, like he never says anything. So I think that was his like final, you know, all right, this is enough type thing to Kerr. Like, hey, I'm literally going to go tell reporters like I never would that I want the ball more. I want more control of the offense. I want more pick and rolls. He said it in a nice Steph Curry like way, but it was still a big headline like Steph Curry says he wants more pick and rolls so um that told you all you needed to know and then I mean the next I I think it was the next game that I was looking at touches per game and you know he's around he's in the 70s um and Harden and Westbrook are in like the mid 90s high 90s and Curry's next game he had a Westbrook Harden type touches high 90s which is very rare on this Warriors team it's not like that's sustained every game because just of how they play but uh, you could tell right after he said that they really gave him a lot more control, did a lot more pick and rolls. And ever since then, it's just a combo of them giving him more control and also him just taking more control, really, too. I mean, that was the problem in December was he was also timid, too. Yeah. No, and that's the best point, I think, because with their offense, it's relatively free form and organic. They they call a play out of the timeouts and off of uh, out-of-bounds plays, but – you know, when, when you're playing in that flow, it's sort of up to you, especially with him with the ball bringing it up. He can simply decide. So I, I always feel like he was telling himself to the media, yeah, self, I want to get the ball more. I'm going to shoot it more. And, you know, the beauty of it is 
is that it, obviously it worked, and it, it's, I think that that's when it changed, and it feels like that's when the Warriors now became a number one offense. And we've talked about this before, how you know the more you score, the more your defense is in position to defend, and you almost make your defense better when you're a better offensive team. And I think that Durant probably saw that too, because uh, he that was obviously who he was talking to, right? Durant was the guy getting a few more touches and a lot more, and, that, and, and Curry was the one guy. Which, by the way, was surprising to me, because before the season started, I was sure that it was going to be Draymond who was going to get a lot less touches and a lot less stuff, which is kind of the case, but I didn't think it was going to affect Curry as much as it did. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing with Draymond is, is, like you said, his numbers have gone down, but he's on this whole defensive player of the year renegade. So he, at this point, he, he could care less about numbers. I don't think he took a shot last night against the Hornets till like late in the second quarter. And, and there's a lot of games where it's like that. Um, Steph, yeah, I, I, I mean, he's such a nice guy that I think he was like really trying to take a backseat to Durant and. Um, I think he had to realize how good Kevin can be as like a secondary type piece. And it's not even that Kevin Durant is a secondary piece, but he can just Durant can get his 27 and only need 15 shots. You know, I mean, that's pretty those are pretty regular nights for Kevin Durant to only need, you know, small, you know, secondary shots. You know, maybe if Curry takes 23, Durant takes 15, he's still getting his 27. So, um after that, uh, you know, the Christmas game was kind of the culmination. But if you look at his December numbers, he was only taking Curry was only taking 15 shots a game, scoring about 20. Now in January, but in not even counting last night when he had 39 and three quarters, he was shooting 20 shots a game and averaging about 27, 28 points per game. So that extra chunk is, you know, okay. Three years ago, Steph Curry. Now he's back to MVP Steph Curry. And when you toss MVP Steph Curry on this fire of everything else that they already have is where you get just this explosion of a team. Uh, absolutely. And, like, we saw that in the Cleveland game where he was, you know, the other thing is they obviously want to take away his three-point shot. And a lot of times he just keep dancing to try and get step backs, which are, you know, the step back three has to be short of the half-court shots he takes, the hardest shot he takes. And yeah. so when we started to say, you know what, F it, or maybe he felt better, I don't know if it was physical. He, although he's been looked pretty phys- you know, physically fit the whole season. He just started going to the basket more, and I think in the first half in Cleveland, he had nine assists. Am I, is that right? Am I, is my mind working right? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that actually might be right. I'm trying to remember. They, they had some crazy numbers in that game in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember if that was the exact number. But look, last night he had 18 first-quarter points, but he also had six first-quarter assists against the Hornets. Yeah. Um, you know, he scored or assisted on 32 of their 41 points. So, yeah, he's been way more involved. So and it's great to see that KD understands that, that, that you know, when, when, when uh, Curry is bringing the ball up like that, he puts so much pressure on the defense from the second he steps into half court, and that'll open up everything. And, yeah, you're right. It looked like he deferred so much. Um, are you seeing it? Is there less of Durant bringing the ball up? Because I know that he was doing it a lot to start the season, you know, let Curry get off ball. Uh, has that been a noticeable shift to you? Uh, a little bit less, but, you, I mean, you know how they are where the ball just – it's always pinging around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets to him. He's still getting his – you know, I think he's averaging somewhere around 4.5 assists per game, which is – I mean, that's Oklahoma City numbers for him when he probably controlled the ball as a point guard type more uh, than here. So he still kind of gets those numbers. He's not – you rarely see him as the ball handler in pick and rolls anymore. Uh, but it's not like that was a super high number. He's just he's just getting his super efficient numbers and look you know everyone talks about it. 
finally they figured it out. But, I mean, the truth is you expected this adjustment. It's, it's honestly probably quicker. They figured it out quicker than most uh, mega teams have in the past. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly if you want to compare, like, the, the Heat took them, like, a season to figure that out, it, it maybe. Uh, and that, I think that does, it speaks to who, who Durant is and who Curry are, is and who, you know, Draymond. I mean, I had never seen anybody like Draymond freaking out on, on Durant like he did when uh, in that Christmas yeah. Day game. Uh, but you know what? It was probably needed. You know, I suspect if you go back before that, you would see that happening in other games that didn't matter as much, but it happened. And so that might have been the last straw. Really quickly, yeah, I'm looking at Kevin Durant. Uh, he, his pick and roll ball handler percentage of his total possessions is 13%. He's doing fantastic in it, but I suspect that that 13% number has got to be the lowest of his career for pick and roll ball handler without question. Yeah, because um, in Oklahoma City, I mean, it was it was ISO or it was pick and roll. I mean, a lot of times Westbrook would be set in the screen. So um, I don't have the like the exact numbers like you do right in front of me, but that does seem pretty. I mean, like that's that's got to be pretty low in the league right now, right? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, well, you know, he's at ninety second ninety second percentile. Uh, if you look at it, I can call it up real quick and then sort of give you an idea of if you do it by um, you know. Hey, let's do the hey since we have a, the, the technology might as well do it so you do a minimum of 100 yeah, I was, possessions and I, was you do say, by, I still think he's ahead of centers and you know zaza and andre drummond aren't exactly picking roll ball handlers but yeah but as far as percentage of time of the top 96 players uh, that have had at least 100 possessions he is the le- the least the lowest uh, okay. among all positions uh, as far as uh, how often he's getting to do pick and roll which is startling you know My- Marcus Morris gets more pick and rolls out of you know out of his total offensive game than he does um, the Warriors don't run a lot too that's the other thing oh that, that's true you know, just, fair enough well yeah, you know what because... it's funny they do but then it won't be the season the, the it won't be the, the possession ending event and so yeah. they'll kind of run it, and then boom, 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 and all of a sudden that pick and roll that started everything doesn't get counted, even though it's it's big. Uh, but you're right, and I did a breakdown of the top four offenses, and they were such an outlier uh, with the cuts that they use. I don't know if you saw it, but it was we compared them to Toronto and Houston and San Antonio, and uh, it was really startling uh, to compare how they attack. And they're all obviously you know fantastic offenses, so. Um, yeah, there's no question that the Warriors are an anomaly, and it's also a pleasure to watch because it's a lot of triangle stuff. I don't know. Does, does Kerr talk about triangle at all? No, I mean, he hasn't been asked too much about it, um, and that would be an interesting topic, especially just how much of a disaster that's been in New York. Um, but to talk to him about once you get pieces, I mean, like Phil Jackson works so well because of these, you know, all-time type players he had in Chicago and LA. Well, look, they got all-time type. That's the that, that's the funny thing about the Warriors. Like, have they, these players run basically any type of offense? They're gonna make. They're gonna take that type of offense to its premium level. Obviously, they would rather run what they're running right now. It makes the most sense. But um, any any form of offense this team is so talented it's going to look good yeah this these specific players with their mindsets like Carmelo Anthony and Blake Griffin and um you know Russell Westbrook I don't think would work that well right there you know the ball wouldn't certainly wouldn't move that way and again you get stuck like you saw against the good teams that can prepare but this is the culmination of yeah like you said it's a nice you know come full circle you now have, you know, the th- these these th- four all stars all in their primes, two MVPs in their primes, 
and they're they're actually it's a good fit. It's one of those moments where this doesn't like Rondo and Wade and uh, and yeah. uh, you know in Chicago. This is and Butler. It's um, this is this is really you know unprecedented. And as a result, you got a really great mix. And I have to say that it, I think it's also related to like what you mentioned as far as the culture and how they've managed this team. And it's certainly that that was in place before Kevin Durant. They played the music. They were really loose. You know, they understood the value of like you know what life is like outside of the game um, as well, and so I think this is an interesting culmination of all those things. You know, is there anybody out there that's going to be able to stop them? Uh, barring injury, I would be shocked, uh, just because of everything we've kind of mentioned, and just look, their biggest threat in the West was coming into the year. You know, before Durant left, would have been the Thunder, but they 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 plucked the heart out of that team. So throw them to the ground. Um, I don't think. Look, I like Houston. I like what they've done with D'Antoni, but that you know they can't defend the Warriors enough in a seven-game series. I don't think they give them a, a, a real threat. San Antonio's interesting. I mean, the only time we've seen them, as we talked about, is that opener where they pounded them. Kawhi Leonard can you know give Durant problems and also switch on to to Clay and uh, Steph, and they still got Danny Green that can kind of maybe th- those are the two best combo guys to guard. Two of the three Warriors main players on the perimeter, um, but you know it's tough for me to think the Spurs could actually beat them in a seven-game series. Now, you know the Spurs would probably it would definitely give them a test, and and there'd probably be moments like Draymond Green yelling at Kevin Durant type moments in that series. But um, and then you move on to that, then anyone out of the East, obviously the only equation there is Cleveland. Uh, we've seen how that matchup's gone. We've kind of seen how LeBron has been grumbling lately. To me, that's almost him saying, like, look, we need another playmaker. It's him saying, if we want to beat the Warriors, we better get a playmaker because he's not worried about anyone in the East. So uh, I'd say no at this point if I had to guess, and I think almost anyone that's you know rationally watched the league this year is kind of thinking it's going to be the Warriors. Uh, I, I can't argue with that on you on that one. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and we don't get the Spurs-Warriors uh, matchup until March 11th, which I am now realizing is going to be my anniversary getaway weekend with the wife. So that'll have to require some interesting negotiation or not. We'll DVR. <laughs> DVR, yeah, that's a bummer. But nonetheless, uh, hashtag don't get divorced. Uh, well, Anthony, uh, a pleasure to have you on the show and break this stuff down. Um, I cannot wait to – we'll have to do it again as we get later into the uh, end of the season. Yeah, when this stuff gets more interesting, it's kind of the, the dog days for the Warriors right now, just waiting for April to get here. Yeah, you got it. And then I'll see you up there in Oakland at some point, hopefully in March when I'm up there, and uh, we'll chop it up there. And, uh, you know, you guys, definitely check out Anthony's stuff. He's always covering the Warriors. Uh, and just, you know, tell us on Twitter where you are. Uh, at Anthony V. Slater. So just a V in the middle of my name. And uh, I'll tweet out all my links, videos, podcasts, all that stuff. Beautiful. All right, well, great follow and great uh, little podcast for us. And thanks for coming on the show. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Anthony? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>